Hello, and welcome to Undressing the Issue. I'm Julia, your host. As you know, this is a podcast where we talk about all things having to do with sex, intimacy, attachment, relationships, uh, and all of the good and bad that goes with that. And today, I have a very, very special guest, uh, my friend, Dr. Kate Balestrieri. Hello, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me on, Julie. I'm so excited. I'm excited to have you. So for those who have not heard of Dr. Kate before, I have so much respect for this beautiful, intelligent woman. She is a psychologist. I'll let her tell you more about herself, but she and I do similar work. We work with a similar demographic, and I'm super excited to chat with you today um, about some of the things that we see that I think are chat worthy. <laughs> we need to be talking yes. about these things. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So tell me about you. What do you do? Where are you from? Well, first of all, the respect goes both ways. Thank you so much for having me on today. Like you're amazing. And I'm so excited that we're getting to talk like this. Um, so I'm a licensed clinical and forensic psychologist and a certified sex therapist, a certified sex addiction therapist, and a packed trained couples therapist. Um, the founder of modernintimacy.com, which is uh, both my practice, but also a platform where people can go to get all different kinds of multidisciplinary information about what it means to be in relationships in this modern era. So we've got lots of different blog content, one coming up from you soon, yes. and video content and lots of other great resources for people. So excited. Yay. I love it. I love the access to information. I feel like there's a need for it. People are always looking for this stuff and have lots of questions. So it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so I'm going to get over my fangirling so we can <laughs> jump in. Um, so one of the topics that I hear you talking about so often is covert rage. Mm. Um, so I'm fascinated by this. So I'm wondering if you can just give sort of a basic explanation of what exactly this is. What, what are you referring to? Yeah, so it's a great question. And, and this idea of covert rage is really a curious one because by definition, covert means it's sort of under wraps, right? It's not so obvious. And when I think about rage, so many people automatically define rage as anger. But I think it's important to remember that anger is an emotion that really is galvanizing into action, right? It, it serves a purpose for us. It tells us when we're being disrespected, devalued, compromised in some way, and sends our body a cue that we have to take action so that we can ultimately protect ourselves and ensure our survival. Right, our fight or flight. Rage yeah. is actually about yeah, yeah, fight or flight, right? Like yeah. get out of dodge or take action. Right, exactly. But rage is an interesting one because rage is like anger plus panic. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think a lot of people don't always understand because they'll say things like, I felt rageful. And they'll, they'll pin that with behaviors like punching a wall or throwing something across the room or physical aggression. And certainly it can be demonstrated in that way. 
but oftentimes the way that we are rageful comes out sideways in these really little insidious ways that over time can leave just as disastrous an impact as the big overt violent right. rages. Right. I agree. I mean, I think it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be the sort of thing where you walk away feeling fearful for your safety, for, right. you know, that you're in harm's way. I think it can also be that sense of walking away with that just icky feeling, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we do, I think, oftentimes kind of associate rage as being violence mm -hmm. or aggression. Yeah. So with this panic or, or piece. Yeah. 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 Or it being like big and, and just outward. So how do you think people express this in a more hidden way? What are the ways that maybe mm -hmm. our listeners, everyday folks have potentially experienced this and weren't even aware that this is what it was that they experienced? Yeah. Well, first I think it might be, oh, your cat just yeah, jumped pardon behind my you. Pussy. Yeah, that's my <laughs> cat. <laughs> that's Agnes. She's intrusive. She likes to be involved. She, you know, she likes the spot. She's my kind of girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It takes okay. it from her mama. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, let's try to break down what rage is about, right? Yeah. When we talk about it as being about panic, think about the kinds of emotions that come up that would evoke panic or anger. These are emotions like feeling powerless, feeling out of control, feeling shamed, and feeling, you know, like you are not going to get what you need. So that sort of feeling of scarcity. And when we look at rage from that lens, which is developed, uh, a lens developed by Patrick Carnes, you know, mm -hmm. we really I tr start to understand that rage is about getting back into a place of control. And so the rage can be expressed covertly in a lot of different ways. Pat Carnes labeled the, the term eroticized rage mm -hmm. to discuss how people express their anger and their fear or panic, right, mm -hmm. through sexualizing their thoughts or through sexualized behavior. And we'll come back to that in a second. Deborah right. Kaplan outlines the term monetized rage and talks about how people use money, either in their thoughts or in their actions, to exert control, to get shame outside of themselves, to really feel like they have enough or they are enough. And you know, I'm putting forth a term called commoditized rage, which talks about the ways in which we have basically commoditized other people to get our emotional needs met. Mm -hmm. And so we do that by objectifying people sexually or financially, but also through objectifying them in terms of you know, creating a purpose and a worthiness on who they are based on what they can do for us emotionally. So yeah. you know, does this person have any status or professional wiggle room that I can get in on? Because if I can, then that allows me to feel bigger and better within my own skin. So this commoditization of someone else's value is a way that we express worth altogether and rage. Yeah. I, it almost feels kind of transactional. It reminds me of the interaction, for example, between a prostitute and a John, right? It's, you know, yeah. both people are having some type of need met and they're both sort of exploiting each other 
but there's, you know, there's this mutual understanding. And so it, it feels justified. It feels okay. I shouldn't feel too bad about this. You know, the other person knows what we're doing here and they're on board their game. I know what we're doing here. I'm on board. I'm game, but it's still this like exploitive kind of dynamic. Well, what you're describing sounds a lot like a barter to me and not totally. necessarily exploitative. Mm-hmm. And it is under the assumption that both people are consenting to what's happening and both people are coming from a position of being able to consent. And exactly. so when that happens, I don't know that I would consider that exploitation or anger. That, that kind of transactional quid pro quo could mm-hmm. very well benefit both people and be okay. But what I'm talking about is sort of a rage that the other person isn't always in on. Mm-hmm. And so that's where there's a taking advantage of and, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, almost like a cannibalizing, if you will, of someone else's um, knowledge, their free will, their participation. Mm-hmm. So whether it's eroticized, monetized or commoditized, when somebody is exacting their anger through the objectification of another person, mm-hmm. what they're really saying is you don't have a choice in yeah. what I'm doing here. And so it often shows up in, in that their partner, for example, may not know that they're having an affair. Right. Because if the partner knows and the partner's okay with it, well, then is it even an affair or is it an open relationship? Well, it's the latter. But yeah. if it's the sort of case where, let's say, you know, it's not an affair, but a partner doesn't know that even though we have an exclusive relationship and we're committed and this does constitute infidelity Mm -hmm. um by this i mean going out and soliciting a prostitute um if somebody continues to do that and to solicit a prostitute for the sake of feeling desired or wanting to be in a sense of control Mm -hmm. getting their way you know would that still be a barter it depends on if everybody involved is aware of it, yeah. com- you know, completely consents to it. Right. I think we, we often make an assumption that other people are aware of our motives when in fact they, they can't be because exactly. they're not privy to what's going on right. in our minds. We can't expect people to be psychic. I feel like I say that all the time to so many yeah. of my couples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what a great superpower if we could. I would love it, but that's just not the case. But I also, you know, what's interesting to me is, especially I keep coming back to this prostitution thing, but I think there's also this assumption that it's mutually consensual, but people often don't consider whether this prostitute has been coerced or she has an abusive pimp, let's just say, or, Mm -hmm. you know, this person's been trafficked and they're, they're forced into this position and to do these types of things in that case, it's not really a straight barter. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's the, that's a piece that often gets overlooked in the justification of engaging in those kinds of transactional situations. You know, most people don't think of themselves as exploitative or predatory right. or perpetrating. Right. They see themselves as people who have needs that are not being met. And here's a service that's providing those those needs. And it seems like a very good right. solution. Right. But there is a lot of um, dark underbelly to the world of sex work that often includes people being trafficked or people doing this from a survival position and right. not necessarily right. a volitional position. Exactly. And I think it also extends to, I mean, we can go on and on about that, but that <laughs> rationalization 
to oneself that those distorted thoughts, the cognitive distortions around why this is okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure in your sex addiction work, you've heard, you know, the, the broad range of reasons why this, I felt justified to do this, whether it's, you know, my partner didn't provide me with enough sex or, you know, access to them sexually, or I, we haven't been getting along, or it's simply that, you know, I can't ask for some of these things because they're taboo or whatever else, or even, you know, well, I engaged with, uh, a sexual partner who is outside of my norm, Mm -hmm. who's not, the type of person I usually engage with, whether it's a different gender or different sex acts, you know, so as long as I stay outside what I deem normal, it's okay. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a distorted thing. Let's come back to these different sort of categories of rage, right? We have a kind of rage Mm -hmm. that seeks to establish a power balance. So if I feel less than someone, I might act out sexually or buy a big car, big fancy car, or, you know, try to otherwise objectify someone as a way to put myself in a one-up position because that's how I might feel that I have enough power in the dynamic, right? right? right. And then there's also this idea of seeking revenge or um, disavowing shame and humiliating someone else, right? So Whenever we're in that position, it's because we feel really shame-based mm-hmm. and that's not, that doesn't feel good. Right. So people will use these kinds of rage behaviors or even just in their thoughts as a way to dispel the shame they feel about themselves and put it on someone else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this shows up a lot where you have people having affairs with affair partners that know their husband or their wife. You know, If you sleep with your husband's boss, that's going to bring him a ton of humiliation. Totally. Whether or not he ever finds out that the hit in your brain that is recalibrating is the possibility that he could and would feel a lot of shame around that. Right. 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 So that's the, the brain plays so many glorious gymnastics to try to get <laughs> us out of feeling these ways. It's true. It's so true. Yeah. 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 Our brains are so sophisticated and so dumb at the same time. <laughs> so, and then the next category is what you were alluding to and like going outside your own value system or comfort system um, and really sort of pushing the taboo, right. right? This is like adding gasoline to anger because when somebody is doing something like this, they often feel like they are out of control or don't have, you know, a sense of um, autonomy. And so they right. just sort of push the boundaries and they're like, fuck you world, fuck you norms, all of the things, I'm going to do me. And that gives them a sense of power. And they get to add in a little element of if I got caught, right, that would be really, you know, scary or exciting, all of those things. And that creates more dopamine in the brain. So they think it's really fun. And then lastly, when we feel like we're not getting what's ours, right? When we're operating from this position of scarcity, it creates almost an obsession and people want and they hoard things that allow them to feel full. Right. right? We see this with people who act out in a lot with a lot of different partners or are intriguing with a lot of different people, but telling everyone it's just, just you I'm talking to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
which I think is so common these days with online dating, with the accessibility to multiple partners. And, you know, it's, it's so, it, it's almost normalized these days, yeah. Yeah. which is terrifying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to me at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so glad I'm not dating anymore in this world. It's Ditto. brutal. Ditto. Yeah. This is why I hated dating. This is why I got a cat and learned how to knit. So then I wouldn't have to do this because it's terrifying because people do this. They, they kind of, you know, take on these identities to be able to sort of reel someone in Mm -hmm. and it's totally fake. It's not real. It's not genuine. It's not authentic. It's not honest. And unfortunately it happens so frequently that there's even Instagram channels of you know, dating profiles and some of the bullshit that people post on there that's just clearly contradictory. It's so transparent that this person is not authentic, not honest, has, you know, ulterior motives. And it's, you know, there, there can be memes about this and Mm -hmm. we can crack jokes, but the reality is this is really unhealthy and it's disturbing. Yeah. 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 I mean, catfishing is a very well-known iteration of this. Right? Yeah. And there's a whole TV show about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, since we're in quarantine, is a good thing to binge right now, especially for all those single people out there dating. Sharpen your skills of um, perceiving what's going on out there. Yeah, totally. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting as we have more and more technology and the advances with technology it gives us the illusion of more connection. But because we have so many more options, people often get paralyzed in their ability to make a decision about who they should be with and why. And I think that paralysis is creating and perpetuated by a lot of FOMO. Mm -hmm. And so people have all these feelers out to ensure the fact they are lovable and okay and gonna Mm -hmm. be okay and that somebody will be available to love them and be with them but they're afraid to put all their eggs in one basket because what if it doesn't work out and then I've cut ties with all these other people and then I'll be alone. Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) But, but you know, really in the, in the unconscious mind, this is an existential tragedy, the idea of being alone. And so we create all of this opportunities Mm -hmm. and it has become a bit of a norm. It has. And I think part of this whole thing with technology is the anonymity that comes with it where you can be anybody nowadays on the Mm -hmm. internet, on various, you know, forms of media, social media, dating websites, whatever else, you can Mm -hmm. have one persona in one place and you can have a totally different one on the next platform, which Mm -hmm. is just, it's kind of cool. It's, it's fascinating that we can do this, you know, we can live vicariously to some degree, but at the same time, it's also, it's, it's also kind of nerve wracking. I mean, like you said, trying to navigate this and kind of getting hip to the game. If you are single and you're using online dating as one of your, mm-hmm. um, accesses to other mm-hmm. people, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where like you said, it, yes, it seems like we're more connected and it seems like we're, um, we're meeting more people and we're interacting more, but there's still this 
filter and there's still yeah. this wall up and it's kind of impenetrable until you're able to actually have these exchanges in person. And so mm -hmm. it's not really as connected or as intimate as we convince ourselves it is. Right, right, definitely. And because there is that extra buffer of technology, our brains relate differently to images that we see on a screen. Right now mm -hmm. I'm looking at you through my screen. Now we've had the benefit of being able to hang out in person, which right. is great. Yeah. But when our brain just sees something on a screen, it doesn't evoke the same kind of internal reaction that actually being present with someone in a room does. And that gives us just enough of a buffer to interact differently with someone via technology than we would in person. Right. So for example, you know, I, so many women that I work with, and, and this happens in the reverse too, I'm not just calling out yeah, men here, yeah. but, but so many women that I work with will say things like, I was talking to this guy online, and when it started to just not really feel right, and I said, thanks, I'm going to pursue other things, he got really angry with me, or sent me a picture of his penis, or you know, left me a really nasty voicemail and called me all these kinds of names, and I don't understand why they do that, and I think that a big part of it is because there is this protection of anonymity and right. buffer, right? right? And they don't actually have to be present with you to see your reaction. And the same person, you know, if they, if they walked up to you at the grocery store and said, hey, can I take you out for a date? And you were like, thanks, but I'm in a relationship. They wouldn't call you a slut, a whore, a bitch, a blah, 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 blah to your face. Most mm -hmm. likely they would yeah. just say, oh, okay. Right. And they would go. But, you know, people feel like they have so many more, um, opportunities to just react and they don't totally. have to sit with any of the reactions that they would have to sit with in person. So it gives them a sense of carte blanche. I agree. I also think that given that buffer, there's less of um, an attachment formed. Yeah. You know, there isn't that same level of connection as actually seeing somebody in person and spending the same amount of time communicating and interacting with them as I'm sure you've heard from your clients, potentially even your own experiences with online dating, there's this period of texting and messaging and yeah. you know, this back and forth that happens before meeting up. If there actually ever is an in-person meetup mm -hmm. and you know, it always makes me think if two people were to spend the equivalent of the amount of time you just spent texting and reading texts and waiting for texts and hoping for texts. If you spent that same amount of time in person with this yeah. other human being, would you be more likely to want to give them a second date or get to know them versus when you don't have that and you have this, this sort of distance mm -hmm. because of that, lack of that attachment and, you know, empathy for that person, mm -hmm. does that kind of create more space or opportunity or even a sense of comfort with exerting rage onto that mm -hmm. person without yeah. the guilt, without the remorse, without all of the stuff that comes after? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I mean, even just to sort of sidestep for a second, if you think about our relationship to characters we see on TV, or mm -hmm. to celebrities that we see on TV. Oftentimes there's a very subtle depersonalization that happens because there's someone we see over there. We don't really take into consideration everything that they might be going through 
mm-hmm. right? And how that shapes their experience and how they interact with people when they're not in their, their role as a celebrity performing, right? right? Yeah. And, and I think the same thing happens when we are dating online or having our relationships primarily through technology. It's like people become kind of a faraway experience and their humanity totally. gets a bit lost because we see them only in this sort of, you know, mm-hmm. technology-based way. Right, right. I agree. I kind of want to go back to something you mentioned because I'm fascinated by this. Okay. Okay. Picture the penis or as it's more commonly known, okay. the dick pic. Okay. So <laughs> yep, <laughs> this yep. topic comes up quite a bit. And, you know, I do hear some uh-huh. people who say, I, I appreciate a dick pic. And then there are other people who are like, ew, <laughs> why would you do this? I didn't ask for this. What makes you think I want to see this? And then yeah. for the people who are sending these pics, some people are like, you know, proud of it and they want to show off their goods. And then there are other people who, you know, I've met guys who are not cool with it. They say, you know, this is, I would never do that. It's just uncomfortable. I don't need anybody having that kind of imagery of me, Um, especially not on the internet where nothing Mm -hmm. can ever fully disappear. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious as to your take on how the dick pic is a manifestation of covert rage? Yeah, great question. So let's come back to how rage begins, Mm -hmm. right? When we feel like we're in a position of victimhood, right? Things aren't going our way. We can't get what we want. We feel helpless, powerless, um, rejected, lonely, all of those things. It creates this sense of absolute resentment after a while. Mm-hmm. And resentment transmutes into entitlement. And when we are entitled, that's when we're likely to act out in these ways that we, you know, probably wouldn't do in person. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't walk up to someone at a grocery store and pull out your penis and be like, hey, 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 right? <laughs> Holding up a zucchini next to it. Hey, hey, look at this, right? That would be no. the most interesting trip to Gelson's <laughs> I've ever had. <laughs> Right. We just, we don't see that happening because we have more respect for people in person than we do. And also it's a lot easier to get caught if you're pulling out your junk at a grocery store. You could get arrested for that. You could totally get arrested for that. And in several states, it is now illegal to transfer any kind of nude images that are not your own. And I'm hopeful that what that means is that soon it will be illegal to send unsolicited pictures even of yourself because mm. when we do that, we, we're operating under a couple of assumptions. One, that someone either wants to see it, which often is not the case, or two, that they don't want to see it and you don't care. Mm-hmm. And so when, when somebody falls into that latter category, they're really turning into a predator because they're taking advantage of this digital exhibitionism. Mm -hmm. And this behavior can evoke huge trauma symptoms for people. We don't know who's going to be finding that on the other side. You don't know if somebody has a child and Mm -hmm. their kid picks up their phone to play the game that kids play. I don't know what kids play, but they do that kind of thing. And I don't have kids, so I don't know. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they, they use phones and all of a sudden like somebody's penis is there and it's like now that kid could be permanently scarred and damaged. It can compromise people's custody situations. Mm -hmm. If you know, 
things like that are happening. They can go to school and start talking about it. Parents can have their children taken out of their care for stuff like that. So when we have perpetrators just throwing their penises through the the digital media to someone else, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's just really entitled and egregious, honestly. So listen, lots of people love naked pictures. Ask first. You know, right. Ask if they're in the mood for it. Right. And then if they are, go for it and have fun together. But, you know, really like th- think twice about why you're doing what you're doing and how you would feel if they didn't react well, if it right. did cause some kind of trauma and, you know, what your rationale would be then. Exactly. Yeah. And what if they got the picture and were unimpressed and expressed that to you? Is that just going to make you lash out? Is it going to make you super angry? Are you going to be totally embarrassed? Because I know I've been on the receiving end during my single days that I don't miss um, of some unsolicited dick pics. And in some cases, I remember thinking, if that's what I was packing, I wouldn't be so quick to send that out. I don't know that you have a whole lot to be bragging about or showing off like that's not anything to write home about but But also I didn't ask for it (laughs) yes you didn't ask for it first and foremost but you know what's really interesting about what you just said sometimes covert rage can be directed inward and in those cases someone might be looking to be humiliated or to be denigrated and that is doing something for them because they have an internalized right form of rage that needs to be sated like a self-loathing yeah, it's very masochistic. Mm-hmm. And, but even in that case, it's predatory because someone's not asking to be a part of that. Totally. You know, healthy BDSM relationships exist because both people are on the same page. They consent, they communicate, they cooperate, they debrief. Exactly. When we're sending these pictures, that's not consent. It's not collaborative. It's not at all. And I think, you know, you're touching on something that's a huge a hugely misunderstood um, activity and even subculture. A lot of people assume that BDSM is somehow, you know, some type of like rape reenactment or Mm. whatever else. When what I think a lot of people don't understand is that BDSM and that type of um, play actually involves a tremendous amount of communication and boundaries and establishing safety Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, when you see it in in all different types of pornography or in uh, anywhere Poorly else, right, like Fifty Shades of Grey, mm-hmm. <laughs> there isn't really a negotiation. There isn't really that request for consent. And so I think it's been kind of given a bad rap because of that. Whereas for those who are familiar with how it works, that's not the case at all. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, this... Uh, it's, it's not this like fearful, you know, lack of control, powerlessness. There's actually quite a bit of negotiation there. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. I get that question all the time. Well, have you personally ever experienced anything that is along the lines of covert rage or commoditized rage? In your, oh. in your lifetime, I'm sure you have. I feel like everyone has. Hashtag me too. Yeah, hashtag me too. Hashtag everyone probably. Yeah. Because, you know, you and I can sit here and talk about it, but we've probably 
participated in it at some point too because we're humans and most humans have a default for how they experience and negotiate anger and rage within themselves so i don't want to sit on a high and mighty pedestal here but um, but i will share a really entertaining story of some eroticized and monetized rage that was thrown Mm -hmm. my way Mm -hmm. Um, a couple summers ago i was at a local wine bar and um, a gentleman walked in who I had bumped into at the grocery store mm-hmm. um, earlier that day. And he wanted to take me out for dinner. I wasn't interested. Um, I told him I was having girls night with my friends at this particular bar and blah, blah, blah. So he shows up <laughs> and started going through his phone, showing us all of the pictures of his private jets and all of his cars and talking about all the money that his family had and blah, 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 blah. Wasn't I impressed? And I just uh-huh. wasn't. Right. That doesn't do it for me. Right. So when he realized he was going nowhere in his efforts to get my attention, he started to get pretty angry. Um, And then someone that he knew walked in. So no joke, he raised his leg, pretended to pee on me and said, she's mine and walked away to go talk to whomever he needed to speak with. (laughs) Good job. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) pretended to pee on me to make his point that he was marking his territory, right? So it was a complete dehumanization, objectification. It was very sexualized because all of his overtures to peacock financially were dismissed. And, you know, obviously I never spoke to that person again. Um, But yeah, that's a funny story. To pee? What? (laughs) Who even thinks to do that? Oh God. Well, I feel like there needs to be, you know, the same way that there's dating websites. I feel, I think there was something like this years mm. ago, but it was like a website of, you know, single men, eligible bachelors and like photos of them and women who've had, <laughs> who've had interactions or who've crossed uh-huh. paths with them who can write about like their experiences <laughs> so that they can be blacklisted. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. There was an art installation a few years ago called I Didn't Ask for This. And it was a woman who had collected all of the dick pics she received and the nasty messages that came with them when she rejected them. Yeah. It was a whole art exhibit. And there were hundreds, if not thousands, of these images. And it just really illustrated a level of entitlement with unrequited bids for attention. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. I love that somebody actually did that because I'm sure there are plenty, plenty of women out there, probably men too, who mm-hmm. have a collection of their own who could probably put out their own exhibit. Yes. Well, for those who may encounter this I mean my thinking as a therapist is for them to not take it personally to not internalize it Mm -hmm. and to remember that this is what they're seeing is where that other person is in their own you know evolution their growth who they are you know all of that kind of stuff but is there anything else you think people should know who are on the receiving end of that Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to take care of yourself in those moments, whether you open it and think it's funny or ridiculous, or it has a more negative and pernicious impact on you, just honor whatever that reaction is. And if it does evoke a new or a history of old traumas around sexual harassment or, you know, sexual exploitation, um, 
reach out to a therapist who is trained to help people understand sexual trauma so you can process that and move through it. You know, talk to your friends that you trust and above all, know that it's not your fault. No matter what, you did not ask for an unsolicited nude, you didn't ask for your pictures to be leaked and you don't ask to be the recipient of someone's rage. Every single human is responsible for their own behavior and that's the end of that. Reach. Amen. I love it. Yes. Couldn't have said it better. Love it. <laughs> love it. So um, I know that you're a busy lady and you have to run to take okay. care of your very, very lucky clients oh, slash patients. I don't know what we call them nowadays, but the people we help. Yes. Um, so I just want to say I'm so, so grateful that you have uh, volunteered to come and chat with me and be a guest. Um, it's been awesome talking to you. I could do this all day, but I know I can't. <laughs> I, I can't keep you. We don't all have that kind of time right now, despite being in quarantine. I know. I know. Well, thank you so much, Julia. This was awesome, as always, talking with you. So let's do it again soon. And yes. I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks. You too. And for those of you listening, as always, you guys can go to undressingtheissue.com. There's links to social media, leave feedback, comments, questions, and I will catch you guys next time.